0: Welcome to Aptivate, a podcast for mobile marketers brought to you by Remerge. Take a short break from your screen and listen to what's working in mobile marketing and what's not, straight from the people who are doing it now. Are you ready? Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Aptivate brought to you by Remerge. I'm your host, Maria Lannon, and today I have a great guest with us. Please welcome Peter Fodor, CEO of AppAgent. Peter, welcome to the show. Hey, Maria. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. To kick things off, where are you based? And tell us a little bit about your background, specifically in mobile marketing.
1: Sure. So I'm based in Prague. We have clients all over the globe, mostly in the Nordics and the U.S., my background, I was always very curious about marketing, marketing communication. So I started studying that subject at university, then entered the ad business, first in Leo Burnett, one of the biggest in the global agencies. And then I moved to a small one where I was managing clients such as Nestle or Vodafone. Stayed in the business for about six, seven years, got fed up with these big accounts, wanted to do something more exciting. It was 2011. So just... Few years after the App Store opened. And me and my colleague back then were so curious about this new platform that we decided to terminate our contracts and without any prior experience jumped into mobile app development, which was crazy. Even like years after that, I feel it was a very bold move. But we developed 12 apps and games, learned a ton. And I also combined my marketing skills with development and this product side of things which was super exciting, super inspiring. And in 2015, I was maybe accidentally, maybe based on my blog, approached by a couple of people. If I can help them with their apps and games, indie developers, smaller studios, companies moving from Facebook to mobile and not sure how to do that. That's how I started helping them. And a year after that, there was so much work that I started hiring and launched AppAgent in early 2017.
0: That's awesome. What a story. So you started to get involved with apps specifically in 2011, which is very early on. I don't even think I had an iPhone at that point. So tell me a little bit about that and how you got interested. You were developing games. Are you a big gamer? And how did you make that transition probably from playing on desktop console to going in in app?
1: Back then it was iPhone free. G, if I'm not mistaken, 3GS was still in the making, back in 2011, so really early days. And I felt back then, we are starting late. There were already games such as Angry Birds and Zepto with like classic titles that you can now find on Apple Arcade very often. So we jumped into game development first and foremost, learned everything about game design and game experience. If you remember these days, it was most level-based games physics-based, puzzle genre being the most frequent in the App Store. So it was quite simple. And over the years, as you recall, Supercell launched Clash of Clans in, I guess, 2012. More freemium started to appear on the market, and the whole industry evolved and grew tremendously. So from very simple types of games to very complex game as a service, where data plays a huge role, you need to react on players' preferences. And that was one of the reasons why we eventually decided that this is very difficult to continue as a business, because it completely transitioned within four years. So that was also the reason why I was looking like, what's next? I want to stay mobile, I have this strong background in advertising industry and marketing. So then it was quite easy decision to stay true to my profession, original profession, and focus on what I can do the best. So it was very rapid evolution of our industry. And I would say around 2015, 2016, it most like settled. And it's more or less the same until today.
0: Right. Because thinking about games in particular, there are millions of apps within the App Store. How do you get your app to stand out? And... More importantly, how do you get your game to stand out? And I think a lot of that, of course, is product development. But let's talk a little bit about what you've done to help specifically gaming studios, given your background on how you've been able to differentiate specific titles, what you've recommended. I'd love to dive into some of that, knowing that you started very early on. And I think what we see today is more and more games being produced, especially with specific IPs and things like that?
1: So what I learned throughout these four, four and a half years running my own studio was things such as platform relations. We had great relations with Apple, Google, Microsoft, Samsung. So our games were heavily featured. We learned how to do cross-promotion with other small developers. We learned how to utilize back in the day's PR, which is not as effective today as it was back in the day's.
0: When you say cross-promotion, is that cross-promoting specific titles, or what do you mean by that?
1: Exactly, yeah. We are actively looking for games that are addressing the same audience, approaching publishers directly, making direct deals to really, without any like financial investment, get users um, on our games. And without pretty much any marketing budget, we have reached back in the days, 12 million downloads across our portfolio of games. So that's even by today's measures, a number. So that was what I brought in when I started helping companies with their apps and games. But now it's a completely different game. So what we do today is we help publishers with marketing analytics, with very complex business modeling, cash flow modeling. So all this hardcore stuff to make sure that we together build a sustainable business. Then, of course, pay to acquisition across all the channels, connection to apps for optimization. And... By and large, these days, and that will be quite a big chunk of our conversation today, creative strategy, how to make sure that your app or game has unique positioning on the market, has clear audience definition, has some sex appeal, so to say, and can attract players who otherwise might feel lost in the App Store. I checked in the morning that there's currently half a million games in the App Store. So finding the right one that will match your expectations and your Preferences is quite a challenge, and discovery on both App Store and Play Store is still a big issue nowadays.
0: How has user acquisition changed since you started back in 2015? And I'm sure some of that creative strategy has also changed.
1: Massively. Really, it's a completely different game today. From a UA standpoint, the Apple transparency tracking changed uh, how algorithms were able to find right players. Before that, UA manager had so many cogwheels to tweak in order to refine campaigns or the bids and budgets. This is so much automated today that really the focus of a UA manager is on higher business level strategy and by large creative strategy. Originally, it was about producing large volume of creatives and just like seeing what sticks. Today, when we are developing creative strategy, we are thinking about different audience segments. Because one game could be attractive for, I don't know, a teenager, but also a grandma. And they will probably enjoy different parts of the game, be it a character development, story, cosmetics, whatever. We can talk about multiple things that can be attractive for multiple audiences. And if you want to grow effectively media spend, it's done by a large through identifying these segments and developing creative directions and at the end of the day, video creatives or even static creatives to make the game attractive for them. At the same time, you can speak to, let's say, three four different audiences through different messaging. And maybe some will be dominant, but some might still attract a very attractive audience from the monetization standpoint, and that still makes sense to support through specific, let's say, communication. So that's what we do today, and that's why we need to combine skills of the creative team Creative strategists with UA managers and constantly look how to expand the audience through original creative communication.
0: So, thinking about creative and also speaking to different audiences, you mentioned Apple tracking transparency and not knowing exactly who you're speaking to. And so, you mentioned different demographics, which wasn't always available, anyways, but also thinking about users that are paying for the game, users that aren't paying for the game. How do you get? a non-payer to start paying because ultimately that's the goal of many games. So let's dive in a little bit about that and how you can employ maybe storytelling within your creatives to encourage more users to, number one, keep playing the game, but also start purchasing in-app.
1: It goes back to the audience, as I already mentioned. You can imagine that the spend of a teenager is very different to a spend to a 50-year-old woman. That's having a plenty of time, but also plenty of money on bank account. And there are certain game genres that's important to understand that are more attractive towards certain types of audiences and let's say more rich audiences. So one thing could be, let's say, word games generally attract audience that's not that much willing to pay unless you build some meta layer and give people more experience, more time to spend, then you can eventually get some money from them. On the other side of the spectrum, if you look into tools such as Aptica, the market intelligence tool that we are using, you can see that social casino games are seeing tremendous revenue per install because that's where the money is. So if you are designing a new game, you have to really think about the audience first and then build the game design around audience motivators. And the whole experience should be designed to provides such a big value to players that they are happy spending like these women spending hundreds of dollars in casino games they enjoy for them it's good deal so to say and our role as let's say growth managers is to identify these valuable segments and tailor the communication towards them because a creative for you know my mom would be very different to my daughter from the narrative standpoint execution, even the format. To my daughter, UGC would be way more relevant than a 3D narrative ad that will probably convince my mother to play the game. So even such details, such as the final execution, if you go 2D, 3D, live shooting or combination of all, has influence on the relevancy. And that's the key to be relevant to your audience and to bring them in, give them this taste of the game And I see our, let's say, line between the role of app agent and our clients. When the onboarding is finished, then I feel that my job literally is done and it's more the product and how the product will nurture the player to get some money from player's pocket and then we can reinvest that into marketing. And there again, our role comes to calculate how much is possible to reinvest. What's the ideal, let's say, spend and payback period to support user acquisition in the most effective manner?
0: You mentioned before that many app developers would use different types of creatives, different creative strategies, when the ability to measure all of that was a lot clearer pre-ATT. How do you continue testing out these different strategies without Bombarding users with all these different types of creative and knowing what demographic to go after. So, you mentioned, okay, for your daughter, for example, who I don't know, maybe a teenager, UGC might work well, user generated content, maybe influencer marketing, something like that. For an older demographic, it might be more playable type, introducing them to the game. How do you test out these different types of creatives or content without bombarding users and not really understanding what is working?
1: It's very difficult nowadays. And you have to come with workarounds. The simplest one is to test on Android. The second option is to use custom product pages on the App Store that give you a bit more information than using, let's say, meta channels. And being smart about how you collect information about players. One thing that I particularly like is to just ask them. When a player opens the game, you can ask what you enjoy the most about the game, how you discovered the game. Then you can ask, what's your age, et cetera. If you look at Beatstar, the game by Space ape Games from London, the reason why they were able to nail down the product, as you can see in the store today, was because they asked. They were pretty much confused about seeing different, let's say, metrics, such as retention rates for different age groups. And that led them to the idea, okay, maybe there's a certain niche that enjoys the game more than the others. Let's explore that. And they started introducing in-app surveys and collected a ton of data that influenced not only marketing, but heavily the product itself. And I'm recommending this strategy to our clients. Just don't be shy. It's about right timing, right execution, but ask and collect the first-party data. Because we are, as today's marketers, in a cave behind our computers, behind our screens, locked in our offices. But what I found the most useful back in the days was when I went out on the street and started talking to customers, started talking to kids that were using Nestle products. And you learn a ton by these interactions. We don't have this today because our audience is typically global. But what we can do is to introduce some forum surveys and get closer to our audience and understand them more in detail. And that would tremendously help us to design effective products and campaigns for our audiences.
0: It's interesting that you mentioned that because in this era of privacy, I'm almost surprised that users would be willing to give first-party data and fill out a survey.
1: Try it. You will see. If you ask 100 people and you get, let's say, 20 responses, that's like decent ratio if you multiply by how many daily active users you have. So within a few days, you have hundreds of responses. And typically, you can see patterns very soon. So if you're asking right questions in the right order, and you time the prompt well, and you can look into the data and see where is this, let's say, right timing to introduce some pop-up, then I believe that you can learn so much in a few hours that it will influence your decision-making for maybe sometimes even years.
0: Just by understanding what users... will number one, what are the demographics of your users? And you can get this through that first party data. And then idea is that you can then tailor your messaging based on that information.
1: Yeah. Do you like this character or that part of the game more? Things like that, it will give you a very good sense what people actually enjoy. And you can combine that and you should combine it with the quantitative data that you see in analytics. But you can ask why you like it or what you enjoy the most. Because seeing numbers is one thing, but understanding the underlying reason is a very important component to have the full picture.
0: On top of creative, so I know that's obviously such a large strategy when it comes to user acquisition and positioning, but what else are you working with a lot of your advertisers on outside of just creative strategy?
1: So creative strategy is, let's say, 50-60% of our revenue because... That's the biggest sleeper today. That's typically for the biggest gaming studios. And I'm speaking here about Supercell, Good Game Studios, Square Enix. These publishers that have strong need for original creatives. Very often they have IP that we need to reflect in every piece of communication. For example, we work for Warhammer 400,000 Tacticals. Their every detail is checked by Games Workshop. So that's part of the business uh, where we see strong and ongoing need.
0: Which can definitely place challenges in and of itself having an IP because a lot of that doesn't allow you to maybe react as quickly as possible when thinking about changing up creatives because of all the legal approval that you need to have and everything like that.
1: Maria, we can record a whole podcast on this topic.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I won't distract us with that.
1: (laughs) That's a rabbit hole. Then we have a second large team, growth team, that supports typically small to mid-sized studios that look for breaking the glass ceiling, especially these days. They face challenges of staying profitable when it comes to marketing, expanding and diversifying their channels. So they are not depending on, let's say on Google ads. They are not sure about their creative testing strategy. They very often see some issues with the product itself. So being involved in this activation stage is part of our job because that ultimately influences retention, lifetime value of users, and therefore the investment into marketing. So our growth team is really similarly structured as any growth team on the publisher side. So there's people on data, strategists, UA managers, app optimization specialists, and these together form for each and every account, a multidisciplinary team that has one ultimate goal, to grow profitably client's business whatever it takes. Very often, we have to tackle different challenges and test different strategies to find what actually makes the difference, and there we double down. That's quite a large chunk of work and probably the most exciting and most complex, because each and every business is different, and we have to reflect these unique factors, such as the team setup, game, maturity of the title, monetization individually, and tailor a custom plan.
0: And when you say testing out different strategies, different channels that you're testing out, what specifically does that mean? I would say when I think about gaming, sometimes if it is a newer game, you're obviously going to employ strategies maybe for similar types of titles. If it's RPG, if it's a more casual game, okay, you might see what's working. And is that how you're testing out different strategies or what does that look like?
1: So we typically look into the data first, and the data tells you, "Is there a problem in top of the funnel, like people are not excited about the ad itself, so there's some issue with the communication itself. Is there a problem in the store where people are maybe confused that what they have seen in the ad is not matching what they see now in the store? Is a problem in the first time user experience? Because, again, it's maybe not matching the previous steps. Maybe it's too long, too boring, or maybe not clear enough why the game is interesting and exciting. And by understanding the funnel and the business data, we identify where to focus. Typically, the issue is that the monetization is not strong enough to support user acquisition at scale. And then you have a couple of these cogwheels, as I mentioned earlier, how to improve that. You can improve things such as the conversion rate in-store because that will bring you more users for the same price. You can focus on improving the monetization by introducing custom pricing, offers, discounts, starter packs, stuff like that. Very often we completely redesign the first couple of minutes of the game to really bring more people in, to hook more people because you paid already for them to launch the app and losing them at that point is tremendous waste of resources. And very often you can get five, ten x improvement on the product side, whereas on the marketing side the game is pretty much level up. There's so much automation behind it. As already said previously, your lever is mostly creatives, and then a couple of other factors: selecting the right channel, right format, right optimization, event stuff like that. So we are really testing typically throughout a couple of months very different areas, and based on the data collected, we pretty much designed a long-term plan that's then applied. But it's never-ending battle. Anytime there's a new title or new update of the game itself or some change in the, let's say, landscape, you might need to start all over again.
0: So there's a lot, of course, that goes into it. With the team that you have at App Agent, what backgrounds do a lot of your team members have to be able to, number one, be able to test out different channels, know what channels to be testing, and also have a good sense of the industry and the entire landscape, even outside of gaming?
1: I'm looking for entrepreneurs, so to say. Some of people on the team really had a business before and they have this entrepreneur mindset because they are often partners to our clients. They are very, very close in a daily contact and very responsible for the end result. They have to have passion, passion for games, passion for mobile, being hungry for news. So they should listen to podcasts like we're recording today, downloading new apps, flyer performance index, the dates released. And just absorbing all the information because industry is so dynamic that if you are not on top of things, you're left behind. And on the creative team, what we are pursuing now more than ever before is to hire people that are very strong in creative strategy and storytelling. Because if you want to really cut through the noise, you need people who know how to build a brand, so to say, how to build an entertainment brand that will touch people's hearts, there will be lots of emotions that will make people to do something. Download the game, play it, give it a try. And I feel that our industry is evolving also on this part where previously it was a UA manager with a very performance-oriented mindset, mostly focusing on volume game. So producing as many creatives, quality doesn't matter, Creative direction doesn't matter, just like volume and see what sticks. But this is becoming more complicated and also not as effective as before. So today you need people who are thinking more long-term and can build games such as Angry Birds back in the day, Clash of Clans or Hearthstone or even Subway Surfers, Candy Crush, Roblox. So many examples of all the established brands that back in the days were no-name as millions of others. So we are now looking for people coming from ad agencies, coming from, uh, let's say, brand agencies to help us to build this strong competency. Then we can help these big studios such as InnoGames to define positioning for their game, to define the communication style, tone of voice, language, creative style, and help them to really be a brand that will last for long.
0: Many of these studios that you're working with, like they're global brands. And I guess my next question is how does that play a role? Because I think there's such differentiation like per market. And you spoke about a lot of games that have been successful globally, but how does a game become successful globally?
1: I see the world is pretty much divided into, let's say, hemispheres. One is the Western markets, Western Europe, Canada, US, Latin America and then the whole different universe is Asia. And I feel launching and growing game in either of these two is quite easy because the audience is generally global, tools are global, budgets are global. I don't know many companies that have locally oriented strategy as a gaming studio. If you're an app, that's different in some cases. but. Being successful with a game, let's say, in the US, and at the same time in China and Japan, is a huge challenge and vice versa the same. We have now one lead in the pipeline, a Japanese studio with a very successful game based on anime series. They want to go into Europe and the US, and they are very much aware how difficult this move is. So they are looking for the European slash US partner to help them to get through this barrier. So I would say this is the biggest challenge. Therefore our focus is, as I've said on the beginning when introducing a Agent Western markets and the US, we don't have ambition to be able to serve as well as to these partners to someone based in Japan or China. That's business of other agencies and other services that have local expertise.
0: So most of your team, since you're based in Prague, everything is more Western focused?
1: That's true. But the team is very international. We have sixty nationalities, so it's Very rich and diverse, which I truly enjoy. It brings so many new perspectives and backgrounds. So that's why I believe that we are well positioned to do a good job for European and North American audience. But we don't have anyone from China or Japan on the team to be frank with you.
0: But even still, having different backgrounds and everything like that allows for better collaboration too. If you have a studio that has a game that they're trying to enter into like a Western market, you would be able to easily leverage other team members to employ different strategies that maybe have worked with a similar game that has tried to do the same thing.
1: Absolutely. And it goes back to the factor of passion that I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago. We are working for some of the big IPs where we are building the team based on who loves that IP. We are working about our generations and there's a couple... Which is
0: so cool because if you're passionate about a specific game and you're a huge gamer, then your work quality is going to be that much better.
1: Totally. And you can jump straight into the project. You don't have to study the universe. If you love Warhammer, then you can immediately start thinking of concepts or execution of the ad with knowing pretty much all the boundaries and restrictions. We started working for Avatar Generations in January this year. There's a couple of people who absolutely love this IP and they were able to develop new concepts like in few days because for them, that's a hobby. They don't see it even as a work. So we are building the teams if possible around what these people like and know, because then they do tremendous job and very effectively.
0: Yeah. How has that influenced your career too? So obviously you were in game development. Do you consider yourself still a gamer today or how active are you within the space?
1: I'm still checking the App Store nearly daily, what's new, what's trending, how even companies like Apple present new games and stories of publishers because that's a great source of inspiration. You can learn a ton for how to promote apps and games of our clients. And I would say my biggest game is epidget itself because that's by far the biggest challenge. <laughs> There's so many ways how you can build a company and how to make it a thriving community, I would even say. I don't want to say family because we're not a family, but we call ourselves time to time a tribe where each and every individual has a certain role and the others are dependent on that person. There's this necessity of understanding your responsibilities because the others are connected to you. So I would say my biggest focus and personal passion is to really build a company where I would enjoy working as an employee.
0: have you been able to develop that culture?
1: Well, you should ask my employees, not you.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I generally believe, yes, because we are doing... Satisfaction reviews twice a year. The management team is talking to pretty much everyone in the company. No difference if you are a junior or motion designer or head of the creative studio. And generally, I feel that people are feeling that they are part of something bigger, so to say. They can have influence on many things. Very often, a junior brings things that are implemented the next day by the management or someone else on the team. And as mentioned, the passion, I feel that people need to feel well and appreciate it to fuel their passion and give them space for creative thinking and being bold, being okay with making mistakes as well. So you need to build a culture where people feel safe and then only I believe they can do their best work.
0: Yeah, because I have to imagine being brave, obviously taking risk. And a lot of that has to do with maybe testing out different strategies. And I'd have to imagine that Majority of the time, some of those probably don't work.
1: Absolutely. And it's okay. And it's absolutely fine. And if there's a good intention, a good plan, it's well thought, then it's okay. It's a learning experience. You collect the data, you move on. I'm telling my people, it's absolutely fine making mistakes, but I hate if you repeat mistakes. So I hope that they take it too hard and they are okay experimenting, seeing where the new, let's say, data point or result will take them and then they trade on that.
0: Yeah, always have to be learning.
1: Absolutely. That's our mantra.
0: Stay curious. (laughs) (laughs) How do you continue to stay motivated in this space? So you've been able to work with some of the top gaming studios in the world and have worked on really incredible games that have changed the whole entire landscape so once you land one of those studios you're kind of like okay great awesome but how do you stay motivated to continue to do that
1: you know motivation was never my problem i always see what we can do next yeah and even with these biggest studios you can imagine supercell and this kind of publishers we always see so many things that we can do better or more, how we can help them. So there's this itch. Maybe we can also tweak this and improve that. And I believe that's the same for everyone in the company. I have this urgent need to do things better every day. And that's why I don't have problem motivation. Of course, this year especially is hard for everyone, for publishers, for employees. There's so many layoffs. So many people have this open-to-world badge on LinkedIn. It's getting scary. Agencies are struggling. We are having hard times. But ultimately, I feel still the same excited for mobile as I was in 2011.
0: It's another opportunity. So if you think about three years ago during COVID, particularly for gaming apps in 2020 and 2021, there was such a huge increase in activity. And then as the world returned to normal, we saw that change. But I think to your point, that just creates more opportunity. Like, okay, maybe we see that DAUs are going down or users are spending less in-app. Okay, well, how can we pivot strategy to get back to, maybe not those levels, but a new level of gaming activity in-app.
1: Absolutely. And we wouldn't be bold enough to try so many new things as we are trying right now if we are not pushed. And only in the current circumstances, we are more experimenting with services design. With revision of our own processes, with who we want to become in the future, we have way more motivation now to move beyond the agency model. Try new types of collaboration with co-publishing, revenue share, co-development, things that few years ago wouldn't come to our mind because all was fine. There wasn't a reason for that. So only once you feel that the circumstances are changing, you start to be more creative and more bold because incremental little changes wouldn't bring desired result. You will have to be strong enough to do some big move and hopefully it will work out.
0: Yeah. Well, in a way it keeps you on your toes too. Exactly. Whereas I think before all of these changes, we think about privacy changes. We think about how the world has changed post-COVID. It was pretty easy to optimize and know what you were getting. You have this input and you expect this certain output and that's not how it is today.
1: All this predictability is completely gone. All the historical numbers that you can just extrapolate to predict future are not valid anymore. And it goes for our business as agency, but also for the models that we are developing for our clients, let's say predictive TV models. You need to be way more granular, way more let's say attentive to subtle changes that can influence things such as profitability of campaigns, because the dynamic is much higher and you need to react faster and be, let's say, more cautious.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, Peter, this has been such a great conversation. I want to thank you for joining me today. Any final
1: thoughts? I recommend everyone to be bold and more experiment, because that's the only way how to stay alive and strive in the future.
0: I love it. (laughs) Great recommendation. One thing you did mention when we were talking about hiring for your team and also just our whole industry in general was staying on top of things. You mentioned how you're always in the app store, but I think it'd be helpful to share with our audience maybe some publications or resources that you
1: would recommend. When it comes to like industry know-how, I'm a big fan of Mobile Deaf Memo Slack. If you're not part of that, go on memo.com and ask for access. Eric Zuford will most likely accept your request and you will be an amazing, very supportive community. I'm always going there for questions. I have lots of friends there. So that's the best place to share know-how, but also to get some help. And when it comes to other areas, I'm a big fan of talking to people. So find your own let's say, mentor, someone who is inspiring or can bring you some new perspective, connect them over LinkedIn and ask them for a call. You will be surprised how many people will say yes and would be willing to give you 15, 20 minutes, even more than that of their time. And you will get tremendous value through these connections. So that's my advice What works for me and hopefully will work for our listeners too.
0: That's great. Thanks, Peter. It's been great having you today on the show. For our listeners, today's guest was Peter Fodor, CEO of AppAgent. Hope to have you back again sometime soon. It's been a great though. Have an awesome day. You too. Thanks for taking a break with us and listening to our weekly episode of Activate by Remerge. If you enjoyed what you heard, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. The more people you tell, the further we can spread these awesome mobile marketing insights. See you next week.